Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories on the National Community Radio Network. Today's program was produced remotely on Wiliakali country of the Barkindji Nation, with a trip to Barkindji country on the Barkindji Nation, and were broadcast across stolen lands via the Community Radio Network. I'd like to pay my respects to traditional owners and their elders, past and present. Sovereignty was never ceded. I'm Megan Williams. Floodplain harvesting has been a hot topic in water news for a while now. After the New South Wales Upper House blocked regulatory changes to license the practice three times in the last year. Now, the New South Wales government has set out to change the rules through the policy in the water sharing plans. These changes are right now on public exhibition. And at a community consultation meeting in Menindi, our guest today, Alan White, firmly told the New South Wales Department staff how he saw the draft policy to be insufficient in managing risk to the community in his region on the Lower Darling. Later in the show, we'll hear from New South Wales Independent MP Justin Field, who has recently exposed internal government emails warning that these draft water sharing plans don't adequately protect downstream flows. Despite these departmental warnings and the ongoing community consultation process, Minister for Water Kevin Anderson has sought approval from the Minister for Environment to finalise these drafts. It's a big story, and we're going to start with Alan White, Lower Darling resident and former citrus grower. Interviews for today's program were collected and first broadcast by Community Radio 2Dry FM's Water Watch program. What would you say your big headline takeaways would be from the day? Um, that's fairly straightforward. We have to have efficient and intelligent triggers that turn off routine access to irrigation water upstream when things are starting to go dry downstream Um, and we haven't got that yet we've got triggers which are farcical that's the polite description Um, and and the river's more important than that and uh, it's it's something fundamentally wrong to be allowing very low priority irrigation use upstream so we're talking floodplain harvesting and supplementary when the river down here or the proposals here have uh, a storage level at 195 gigalitres, most of which you can't even access, which effectively means the river's about to go pear-shaped in the next three, four, five months. Um, that's, that's a fundamental problem, and it's those triggers to turn off routine access which are important, and what we've seen today is, uh, is, just doesn't do the job. Some of my big takeaways from the meeting today are perhaps that there is, um, or there, there was a number of agree to disagree over some of the real fundamentals that they're talking about. Yeah, um, a lot of the rules they're talking about today are sort of justifiable in normal years, um, and you can come up with, with justifications for it. And, and when there's water around, well, everything's really easy. What was horribly deficient today, and maybe not as well as accepted as it should have been, 
is that the, the real issues in, in managing a river happen in the dry years. And topics that were talked about today, like water sharing plans or uh, the floodplain harvesting stuff or uh, the uh, regional water strategies, had some really nominal triggers to turn off the routine access. And those triggers are, I'd suggest, where the fundamental difference is. And it's the triggers that really matter. And I mean, as, as an example, that one of their triggers that shows up is 195 gigalitres total storage in Menindee, and that's supposed to last for a year. You've only got to look at the last drying event only three or four years ago, and, and that figure's literally garbage, and yet it's got through to this stage in, in a, you know, quite a way through their, you know, their planning process. It raises some really serious questions as to... Uh, to what's actually going on with those triggers. Um, there are other triggers as well, but the, the, it's, the, it's the ability to turn off the things like floodplain harvesting that hasn't been covered well today. And, and it's critical if you're going to think about how a river's going to be run. And one of the things that um, came up a bit in the morning session uh, was the way, uh, you know, uh, farmers and property owners downstream are continually thinking about or anywhere really are continually thinking about managing risk and that the proposed plans didn't manage risk the way you would like to see it managed on your own property um could you speak to that yeah look i think that the a lot of the plans that they've talked about are very area or location specific and yet if you're managing risk seriously along a river, you've got to manage the risk along the whole river. And that's horribly lacking from the, the, the stages that we were talking about today. And if you're seriously managing risk, you've got to take a bit of a precautionary approach if you're managing something as serious as a river. And that's not what we see in the, uh, uh, say the floodplain harvesting proposals or the Bow and Darling Water Sharing Plan or the regional water strategies. You know, they, they should be about managing risk to lessen the likelihood of, of the, uh, the ugliness and the mess that we've seen in, in recent dry years. They just don't do it. Um, and you kind of raised a like there was a kind of a number of points over the morning um where this trigger of 195 came up a lot and you kind of talked about how yeah going the way they're going it's without managing risk from a conservative perspective it's bordering on negligence can you um yeah can you speak to that well using the 195 gigalitre figure as an example and there were other triggers but they're all sort of equally deficient the 195 figure that they're talking about when you read the fine print is the total water in Menindee. Now, that's not accessible water. So you might have in a drying phase 50 gigs of, of dead storage in Corndilla. You might have um, something similar in, in Lake Menindee, 40, 50 gigs, that sort of figure. And, and your 195 figure of water actually becomes less than half of that in terms of, uh, of available water. And... That then means that the risk to the river of a repeat of the disasters we've seen in you know, recent years is, is increased massively, and it's, it's wrong. It's just fundamentally wrong. 
And you you also came up with a number of alternatives to that number. Could you kind of cover off on like the way you could incorporate a time period or? Um, yeah, yeah. and the if we're serious about managing a risk of something going ugly in a river system, actual numbers don't really do the job. Now, because seasons change, you don't know what the situations are. We have, for example, a huge difference in the effectiveness of a, a reserve number uh, in terms of whether you hit that, start using that reserve at the start of summer or the end of summer. So it's far more professional to think about a time period. Now, we'd suggest 18 months. Um, some other people today were suggesting two summers. I guess that's about the same thing. But realistically, as as you should or as you're managing a river, you can look ahead and see what the risks are. And if you're within you know, two summers or 18 months or whatever period you choose to look at or choose to use... Of, of something going going ugly, then if you're professionally managing a river, you start to do things to lessen the risk of that happening. Now, if there's absolutely no rain anywhere, there's nothing you can do about it. But usually there is a bit of rain in a few places and getting a little bit of water down the river, even if it just wets up the river to Louth or to Tilpa or even if it runs a bit into Menindee, that's actually really important if you're going to try and manage or lessen the risk of problems in the river. And you know, next time it goes dry, one of the their priorities in the session this morning was um, mitigating the impacts of these cease to flow periods. You know, do do you something? I, I'm like, oh, they want to mitigate the impacts, but not the periods themselves. Do you? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, look, I'd, I'd probably use slightly different words. The intention of the the systems in place should be about lessening risk. And the thing about managing risk or lessening risk, you never eliminate risk. So you can have the best rules in the, in the world and you can still have a problem. But if you've gone about that system trying to minimise the risk, you've done all you can. Now, I haven't seen here today attempts to do all that can be done to minimise risk or lessen risk. So the, the, the reality is that times will be dry again. And it will get ugly. But if we're doing our job properly, it'll get less ugly than it otherwise would. And so I didn't see a real commitment here today. And and you've been involved in these sorts of meetings and developing policy and giving feedback from the Lower Darling perspective for a very long time. Um, do you have hope for the this consultation period and what might come of this policy? I guess if I didn't have some level of optimism, I should have stayed home. Um, realistically, there's nothing I heard today that I haven't heard before. Um, the comments that myself and others made aren't different from what's been said before. We haven't achieved anything yet. I guess we live in hope that we might in the future, but I, I wouldn't rule out talking to you in another year's time and noting that the progress is um, non-existent. And I guess on that, because our audience is people who aren't always very familiar with everything to do with water what could you say to people who are trying to get involved um, and and a a takeaway from this process for them Um, look firstly the the more people are involved the better I think it's also it's important to understand that if, if people are coming in without a huge amount of experience 
every bit of knowledge they gain is progress. But you can't get your, your mind around everything just turning up at one meeting. It's an incremental process. And the more people who start the process, the more people will understand it in, in future. Um, you know, I'm coming to the end of my involvement in this sort of process. I, I, uh, it's time for me to go away and do something else. And, but it is important that people keep coming on. And that's, you know, maybe that's not happening as well as it should because the river is important. Um, and you know, we've got a bit of water in the river now and that's good, but it'll be dry again and it'll be ugly again. And the sort of things we're talking about today, if, if we could get them implemented, will, will lessen the risk of those things happening in the future. And that's what everyone should be trying to do. So the more people who do it, the better. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. That was Alan White, Lower Darling resident and long-term participant in community consultations on water policy, speaking after a government consultation meeting in Menindee a couple of weeks ago. Next up, we'll hear from New South Wales Independent MP Justin Field after he accessed and released internal communications by the New South Wales Department of Planning and Environment. In this discussion, he's talking about the Minister for Water's request for concurrence or the tick of approval from the Minister for Environment. And by the time you hear this, it may or may not have already happened. Dan Schultz, co-producer of Water Watch on Community Radio 2 Dry FM, starts the interview. All right, so this week you've released internal emails from the Department of Planning and Environment. Can, can you explain to us which parts of the government are involved here and, and why? Yeah, absolutely. Look, the issue of floodplain harvesting has been burning pretty hot now for a couple of years. Um, there's been parliamentary inquiries and a number of instances in the upper house, we've used our powers, it's like a parliamentary FOI really, to call for documents from various government agencies about the processes going on behind the scenes. So the most recent one had to do with this idea of downstream targets. It's been the most controversial aspect of the rules governing floodplain harvesting. How do we ensure water for critical human needs and the environment gets downstream during a flood event. So it's not all just taken up in huge dams in the Northern Basin. So we asked for any documents referring to downstream targets and, and other a language that might you know, be linked to that from um, the key ministers, the water minister and environment minister, and then also their associated departments. That got returned late last Wednesday night. I sat up in the parliament until about midnight going through them so we could get this important news out the door, which is there's a real conflict going on inside the government about how to comply with their legal obligations to ensure a fair share of that water does get downstream. Yeah, thanks, Justin. And uh, to get back to the content of these emails, uh, in one of the exchanges there, environment, the Environmental Heritage Group said that the downstream targets were too low. What would you, what kind of targets would you like to see um, to satisfy your expectations? Yeah, and I think that's a really important point. What are we trying to achieve with these targets? The water minister's targets are really only focused on very dry periods and then the first flush, like the first flood event after a really dry period and say that when Menindee's got below a certain level, which is which is very low, these triggers would then be switched on 
and they they would restrict harvesting until a certain amount of water was travelling down um, the various tributaries and make their way down to Manindi. But that would only ever happen in very, very dry conditions for that first event. That's not adequate in my mind because there are a lot of um, flow events that are needed in the various tributaries um, that require high flows, potential floods, um, that if they're not allowed to get downstream, there's no other ability for environmental releases from dams or other types of water management to achieve those flood results or those high flow events, which might be critical for water breeding events or for wetlands or for other environmental assets. There is a series of measures that have been developed by the government, by the environment branch of government, uh, through the long-term water plans. They're called the environmental water requirements. Uh, I've made the argument that they're the only scientifically based triggers or volumetric um, uh, data points that you could use to viably achieve the priority of use provisions under the Act. If you've got to meet environmental needs and the environment departments develop these environmental water requirements, well, why not use them as the basis of triggers? This is highly contested between the various elements of the coalition. The National Party don't want environmental rules governing water use in the rivers. They want to prioritise productive uses. Um, we've seen that through the ICAC report in 2020, this prioritisation of, of, of irrigator interests over the others. But I think this is where the, the rubber really hits the road, because if we don't have environmentally based triggers, then how can they possibly achieve the requirements of the law? Uh, and how can they possibly allow these licences to be issued and used without knowingly undermining the integrity of the river systems? Um, so there's a clear alternative. And it's interesting that the Environment Department in these documents says that they're developing those alternatives. They may have actually been developed. We just haven't quite seen them yet. Mm. And another comment um, in the documents was that the current proposal is open to legal challenge. Can you explain why that might be the case? Yeah, so this actually was a comment from um, the, the lead um, official uh, inside the water department who's actually been managing this, the, the Healthy Floodplains uh, project. Now, what that appears to be speculating on is that without a greater attempt to link um, any downstream triggers to environmental outcomes, there could be a case made that the rules don't adequately um, protect or, or, or advance the, the water management principles. And in that way, what I've been talking about, that priority of use between critical human need and environmental need and, and, and making sure they are not undermined by extractive uses. Uh, I was really interested to see that because on the surface, it looks like there's been an opening for a legal challenge to a range of water um, management rules, really, on those grounds, that failure to deliver priority of use. That's what ICAC warned about. It's interesting to see that even inside the, the water department, they're concerned that potentially a third party may well uh, challenge the rules on that basis. Um, to, to get back to these triggers and the process, so Dan and I went to a consultation uh, meeting in Menindee a couple of weeks ago with the DPE 
um, where there was a lot of concern about the trigger points about this number being 195 gigalitres of total storage in Menindee, um, which doesn't account for water that can't be accessed. It doesn't account for how it's spread through the lakes. It doesn't account for what time of year that they hit the trigger point, whether it's the start of summer or the end of summer um, or, you know, the oncoming sort of weather patterns. Can, can you talk to us about this process of seeking concurrence when, you know, we went to these consultations, we've been telling our listeners to to engage with this process. Um, what would giving concurrence now while this uh, process is still open for stakeholder engagement mean? <laughs> I was pretty surprised because I've been engaged with the Water Minister's office as well on this very question. And so to see that at the same time he was supposedly engaged in consultation, he had actually already put those targets to the Environment Minister for concurrence is, um, you know, an act of bad faith. Um, uh, there's no other way to, to read that. You're right. The, the level at Menindee 195 is very low. Um, that's what the Environment Department have said. It doesn't consider a range of, of factors, um, in, including um, the, effectively the dead storage in the system, um, uh, also the ability to, to meet needs in the lower Darling, uh, how climate change, higher evaporation rates, all, all of that. I think it's only been below that five times as well in the last 40 years, which means that these triggers would, have, would operate so rarely as to be largely uh, ineffective um, at delivering any critical human needs or environmental outcomes downstream. So it is pretty bad faith. Um, uh, it really doesn't go to the issues raised by the community or in the three disallowance debates in the upper house where there's been an expectation that the targets not just be about the first flush but be more broadly about meeting those priority of use provisions. So I think it speaks for itself. It, the community must feel like they've been misled, really, by the department and the water minister. Clearly, if he had gotten an easy and quick tick off from the environment minister, these things would now be in law in New South Wales, and the and the consultation would have amounted to nothing. I think it's really important to not lose sight of what we're talking about here. Floodplain harvesting and, and, and supplementary take has always been a, an opportunity form of take. It's take that is possible when there is a surplus uh, sort of in the system or unexpected or, or you know, or, or large flows and there's an opportunity to take uh, some water. By licensing that and issuing licences, some in government, particularly, you know, on the extractive side of this debate, think that what you effectively should be doing then is guaranteeing a right to take this amount of water, you know, on average over the long term. That is just not true and it shouldn't be the basis of decision-making. The critical human needs downstream and environmental needs must come first and if that means floodplain harvesting is constrained in any given period until those environmental needs are met, well, so be it. If that means you can't take at your license volumes, well, so be it. There's no guarantee um, to get this water. And I, and I think this whole idea that the issuing of this licence is, is a, this tradable 
um, uh, and compensable property right ongoing. It's just not how it, this form of take was ever supposed to uh, occur. So I think the the minister, the environment minister, has both the law um, and I think the, the 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 moral weight on his side. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Today we heard from New South Wales Independent MP Justin Field and earlier we heard from Lower Darling resident Alan White. Water Watch invited the Minister for Water Kevin Anderson onto their program for interview and followed up with a series of detailed questions. They received the following response, read by Dan Schultz of Waterwatch. By licensing floodplain harvesting, the New South Wales government is ensuring that water take is accurately measured, giving greater protections to the environment and water users downstream. The department provided legal advice that the plans can lawfully be made and the targets comply with the principles of the Water Management Act. When it comes to managing water in New South Wales, my view is healthy rivers, healthy farms and healthy communities, not one or the other. My name is Megan Williams and I hope you've enjoyed today's program. You can follow Waterwatch on Twitter at Waterwatch Radio and get in contact with Earth Matters on Facebook and Twitter or at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. You can listen back on today's program by going to 3cr.org.au slash earthmatters or searching Earth Matters wherever you get your podcasts. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the program out to you. Earth Matters is usually produced in the studios of 3CR on Wurundjeri Country. But today, the episode was produced on Wiliakali Country and Barkindji Country using interviews collected by Community Radio 2 Dry FM's Water Watch program. Taking us out today is a song by Yorta Yorta artist Alara called Walla is Life. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time for more Earth Matters. Walla is life. Walla falls from sky. Rain beginning of life. Like our kinship ties. In Mother Earth's eyes. River banks flow wide. Fingerlings swim wild. Making Mother Moon smile. Hasn't rained in a while. Walla is blood. Walla gives flood. Walla is life. Gotta get law right Limitless undercurrents Pushing, pulling, pumping Gliding, sliding, mulling Trickles from the nipples of sacred springs It's an animal thing Made to give us wings After the rain, the river flows after the rain.
after the rain, the river flows and the kookaburra sing.